Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, if you have a Bible, could you turn to uh, Psalm 139? We were there two weeks ago, actually. And as we continue today, our series on navigating the pandemic within, i.e. emotional health amidst this very strange time where we are all locked down. And as we are locked down, it feels like it's bringing up more and more things in, I think, so many of us. So we're wanting to look at this question of what does the Bible have to say about emotional health? And two weeks ago, we started this journey. It's based uh, in many ways on some of the principles from Pete Scazzaro's book, The Emotionally Healthy Church. And the first principle we looked at was um, looking beneath the surface, which in a sense was learning from the scriptures how to look down. What am I feeling and why am I feeling it? Well, today we are going to be looking at the subject of breaking the power of the past. And so in a sense, it's not so much looking down, but it's learning to look back just a little bit. And it's my contention that we can't actually understand the why, why we feel what we do a hundred times in a given day without actually some understanding of our past, of our story. It's impossible to know why we react like we do so often, subtly or dramatically, without understanding something of our past. So today we're going to be learning to look back just a little bit from the scriptures. And um, I know at one level, this is something that many of us love to do. I know things like Ancestry.com are booming, coming to America. It particularly is uh, a consistent theme that people love to look back and to know something of their ancestry. And of course, as we think about our pasts, as you know, Josie's reminded us, and we think about our family of origin uh, and, and all of the different aspects that have shaped us, um, there's tons of positives. The Apostle Paul celebrates the positives over his spiritual son, Timothy. He says, your mum was amazing and, and her mum was great and their faiths have come into you. There are so many positives. But the truth is there's also things that we've picked up things that um, have made us, in a sense, who we are today, um, that have been challenges as well. But the reality is, for most of us, I think we find it difficult to look back. And maybe it's just me. I won't ask for a show of hands. But I know I've found it quite difficult. I know it's important. I know it's biblical. But I have at times struggled to look back. First of all, as Christians, um, you know, we know that the Bible says, if you're a Christian, you're a new creation, Right? So surely, um, theologically, we don't really need to go sort of, you know, rummaging around in the past, Tom. You know, we're new creations. That's enough for us, right? Um, Or we we say things like, well, it's about focusing on our Heavenly Father who is so incredible that everything else is just irrelevant. And it kind of sounds, kind of sounds holy, kind of sounds true. Don't go back rummaging in the past, Tom. 
just focus on the father. Um, or even things like uh, our parents did the best they could, you know, um, the parents did the best they could. So you don't want to look at the past and think about your family of origin and dishonor them in any way. Well, the reality is, is that first of all, if we're Christians here today, um, we believe in something called sin. It's fairly basic, which means number one, none of us as parents did the best we could. <laughs> Tom Shaw, top of the list, by definition, I have sinned. And therefore, although I, I wish I, I had done it perfectly so far, I haven't. Um, so by definition, nobody has done the best they could. And that's not a criticism of, of my parents or others, but it's just, it's a reality that I face as a parent as much as anyone. Yes, we should focus on the father, of course. He is incredible. The Bible gives us a picture of an amazing father. But also we are surrounded in this world by hundred other people who are not wonderful and kind and loving and perfect and they've affected us and infect us as well and also yes of course we are new creations that's totally true but the bible you know huge parts of the new testament use language like um, put to death the deeds of the flesh or throw off everything that would hinder or take every thought captive. It's very sort of um, like warfare type language. It isn't just like, well, now you're in your creation. It's all easy. It's no, no, your life, you're kind of in, in for the fight of your life, actually. And I do want to say this because Terry Virgo preached so helpfully last week on understanding grace. And sometimes we confuse, um, you know, effort with earning. We think that the Christian faith shouldn't involve any effort. Well, actually, it does require effort. Not to be saved, of course, that's a, a gift of God, and our transformation ultimately is, is a gift of God. But obviously, it involves us, you know, partnering with God, taking, throwing, throwing off everything that would hinder is an effort. It requires our partnering with God, but it's nothing to do with earning. It's nothing to do with earning anything. There's a grace that God gives us to do this effort, but it's, it's not earned. <laughs> it doesn't add to anything. So Psalm 139 that you have before you, I think is super helpful in terms of empowering us to be those who know how healthily to break the power of the past. So let's read it again and look what King David has to help us in this incredibly important process of being a people who know our past and are not ultimately defined by it. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in. Behind and before, you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You see, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, if I move to San Francisco, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Here we go. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eye saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I'm awake, I am still with you. Oh, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Wonderful. Hallelujah. Well, David actually gives here, I think, us at least three kids that are spend five minutes on each that help us to healthily know something of our past, to be real about it, and then actually to be able to break something of our past that's shaped us. And there's three keys here that I think we can see in the scripture. The first one is we need to be assured of its importance. Be assured of its importance, i.e. I want you to, do, to be convinced in your mind that being someone who is aware of your past is actually really important. You see, I think it's impo- impossible to read the whole of the Bible personally and to conclude that the message of the Bible is, is that your past is irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, the whole of the Bible is basically saying, hey guys, this is your new spiritual family. Your great, great, great granddad was this guy called Abraham and he was good in some ways and honestly not great in, other, in some ways, but God's grace was for him and you're going to meet him one day and that same grace that was for him is also for you. These are all of your incredible new ancestors. Meet them. This is your family tree. It's incredible. We're, we're grafted into this extraordinary, wonderful, blessed, and in some ways broken, imperfect, but still so blessed family that is the people of God. Right through Israel, we come in. It's glorious. You can't conclude from reading the Bible that you know, your past is irrelevant. No, no, no. We are to learn from our past and to take encouragement and warning from our past. But... I think if the whole of the Bible says this principle, this psalm screams this principle. I mean, look at this psalm. It's so exquisite in communicating you are important to your father. David was just, I almost want to say drunk, but filled with the spirit, filled with this intoxicating truth that God saw everything about his life, all of the 
all of the stuff in the past and that it was important to him. And this, you see, for example, he says here, I, you know, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. He says, uh, you, you wove me together. He even says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book. I love that idea. You know, parents often have like scrapbooks in the olden days, you know, pictures of their kids. Nowadays, it's Google Photos. And our kids love nothing more than going to Google Photos and looking at the book of their life. And that's great. But this image that David is saying is my father in heaven has the book of all books, all the days written for me, even before I came out of my mom's womb, he knew about, and he celebrates, he has this kind of metaphoric book. Our father in heaven is not a father who, who doesn't care. And David, this great masculine man's man, this, this Goliath slayer, he is kind of appropriately tender. Because he knows his father sees everything. Say it with me. He sees everything and it's important to him. Now, this is really important because for David, I think when you look at his relationship with his father, we don't know loads about it. But what we do know is at a critical moment when a prophet came round uh, wanting to meet the family, um, his dad either literally forgot that David existed, he was the youngest, or he deliberately didn't include him in introducing him to this visiting prophet. Think about that for a moment. Think about how that would have made David feel. Overlooked, not seen by his father, even abandoned. And then to make it even worse, we read this tense relationship between David and his brothers. So later on, you may know the story when David says, actually, I'm going to fight Goliath. His brothers don't go, 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 bro. So proud of you. They mock him and they accuse him of having impure motives. His brothers, his own flesh and brother, his own flesh and blood. And so not surprisingly in Psalm 69 verse 8, David says, I am a stranger to my brothers. I'm an an alien to my own mother's sons. So for David, him growing up, he, had, he seemed to have a, a somewhat strange relationship with his father, who, who I think would have made him feel overlooked and somewhat not seen, and, a, and something of a distant relationship with others. You see, when David, therefore, talks about a father who knows everything about him, this isn't just some cute little fridge magnet for David. This is a lifeline for a man who I think had some serious wounds from his past. I think he would have felt, Dad, why didn't you include me when Samuel came? Bros, why didn't you have my back when I stepped up? He was the youngest in the family, and they were like bullies to him. So this is, this is incredibly important that David, I think if David was here, were, were here, he would say, please, listen, you must be assured of the importance of knowing your past. I think he would say that. Because it's very comforting to know, even if your earthly family wasn't perfect, this God that David speaks about is the true God. And he's different to everyone else. It's comforting, but it's also important because it's challenging. You see, in many ways, if you want to sort of summarize this kind of whole principle of emotional health, it's basically, number one, knowing that all of us have been sinned against growing up. I've just made that point. 
with David. But number two, that we all react to that sinning against us in part by sinning ourselves. Now, that's really key. Really key you get that. Because I want to bring tremendous sympathy and comfort for those of us who who are aware of the ways that we've been sinned against. That's so huge. But what's really, really key is that we also realize our own responsibility, even when we were young, for sometimes responding to that sinful thing against us in forming our own agreements, believing lies, and forming our own fleshly sinful selves in response to that. And you can even see it in the very psalm here. It's fascinating. I, it's, it, in verse 22, look with me. David is in this bliss bubble of, of loving his father. And then suddenly there's this rather abrupt um, uh, comments he makes about these bloodthirsty men. Have you ever noticed that? He's, oh, father, you're amazing. Away from me, bloodthirsty men. And it's like, wow, David, what's happening? He's, he's obviously suddenly remembering some, some really genuinely sinful men who are against God and against him. Verse 22, David says, I have nothing but hatred for them. Now, I wouldn't be so bold as to say that David is actually sinning at that moment, but he is getting pretty near to it, right? If he's saying, these people have sinned against me, and actually I have nothing but hatred for them, you can almost see in live live Psalms, Facebook stream live right there as we read about him this kind of thing happening to him where he sinned against but rather than ultimately finding grace to forgive and to love he's saying I have nothing but hatred for them you can almost see how even even David you see the reason this is here is because God wants us to know that we are seen by him and important to him but also how we have reacted and formed inside is important to him. Do you see that? It's both elements. It's the outward coming to us, but also the inward. So let me ask you this first quick question. Are you convinced that you are tremendously loved by God and he sees everything, but you are also somewhat sick? Even when we've been sinned against, we still carry our own responsibility for how we've responded to that. That's why Jesus used the metaphor. He's like, you know, I've come for the sick. He's a doctor. He's like saying, yes, you've been, things have happened to you in your past and we're going to think about that. But also you've allowed that to, in some ways, um, to, to lead you into agreements that you've made, into false selves, into fleshly living, into sinful living in your own way. And, and, and Jesus wants to know you're tremendously loved, but you are, Tom Shaw as well, those who are somewhat sick. Are you convinced of the importance of knowing your past? I think David wants us to be comforted and challenged by it. And together those make us realize it's very important. <laughs> it's very important. But the second key here is not just to be assured, assured of its importance. He also gives us a second key. He effectively say, I want you to be autobiographical in our approach. Okay. This psalm leads us to be utterly autobiographical in our approach to understanding our past. What I'm trying to say there with that long word, 
because it's, it's got an A at the beginning, like the first one, assured, uh, is, is that it's about permission to understand the detail, not just the broad principle, that's the first point, but the detail of your own specific story. And what David, I think, is showing us here is you need help. It's not just important. You actually need to be skilled in the spirit to be accurate in understanding the specific nuances of your particular nurture environment and also your particular inner nature that responded to the nurture environment. You need some skill in being something more than just aware of it. Um, Let me just show that to you. For example, he says here in verse 2 and verse 3, a couple of interesting phrases. He says, um, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Isn't that interesting? David is, he's saying, Father, you see my thoughts. Implication, I don't always see all my thoughts. Isn't that fascinating? He's saying, Father, you see my thoughts, even though you're afar. You perceive all my thoughts. You need to help me understand my thoughts. He says something similar in the next verse. He says, you are familiar with all my ways. Okay, like to you, Father, it's just totally obvious how I think and how I operate. But it's not, it's not uh, totally obvious to you or to me. We have so many blind spots. And David, in the spirit, he's like, wait a minute, Father, you see every good thought and every bad thought I have and every good way and every unhelpful, unhealthy way that I have developed as, as I've grown up. You need to help me understand and to see it as you do so if you think about for example your inner nature you know just who you are let me ask you this very simple question who are you like what were you actually like growing up it's such a simple question like what what are you i mean i've just i i remembered recently that i used to hide under tables a lot when i was little you know when guests came over it's actually very shy now, that's such a simple little comment, but actually, uh, it makes a lot of sense then why I find leadership and speaking in public, I mean, I feel called by God to do it and grace, but it's not easy for me because I know kind of who little Tom was. You know, I wasn't someone who just loved the stage. I actually like the under the table world for me. Thank you. And those of you who know me well, you'll know that introverted side. So, so who actually are you? God knows your thoughts. He knows your ways. But do you? Let me be vulnerable. I remember, and I only remembered this recently, I vividly remember when I was little having the thought that my big brother and my big sister were so creative and so gifted, so cool, attractive, and they were all those things. This was the thought that came to me. Okay, listen, Tom, you're blank. You're just blank. There's nothing particular about you. Now, that, that thought did not come from any human. It just came into my head. I remember it, thinking, my big brother's like a drummer. He's super good looking. The girls love him. He's just clear. On, he's just Mr. Passion. And my big sister is super attractive, and she's really creative. At that point, I had terrible skin, big fuzzy hair, big national health glasses, and uh, I just felt this like, I mean, Tom, you're just blank. That was, you see, God perceived that thought when it happened, but I didn't perceive it. 
he he knows how we are made and what happened from then was that okay well i therefore need to be successful i need to perform i need to achieve and to be admired in order to get love do you understand that that was a thought that took up residence in my mind when i was little that i have lived with up until this day 42 and a half years amazing god perceived that thought i didn't perceive it it just lived there shaping me needing to achieve becoming driven needing to be successful needing to be spectacular becoming competitive scrabbling to get some kind of scraps of love quite thought that entered me years ago and i didn't spot david says you father you perceive my thoughts implication is um help me to perceive them it's not just our nature it's also the nature the nurture the world around us it massively shapes us so for example i mean there's too many um uh, there's too many factors to to mention in a quick talk but just a few here's four big ones to ponder in your own time number one your country of origin i hadn't realized this until moving away from britain and coming to america how much being british that one fact that past truth of growing up in britain has shaped so much of how i live what's your country of origin how has that shaped how you live and how you respond i know an arrogance you know i'm from britain used to rule the world did i mention that to you haha <laughs> that can just creep in superiority secondarily events country of origin secondarily events you know trauma divorce death depression or even like positive events in your life birth celebrations moments where you achieved something i remember vividly getting a scholarship to a prestigious boys boarding school and i remember opening the envelope on my bed aged 11 and it was an incredible moment but it also added to this 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 young tom who needed to perform remember i mentioned a minute ago it like was it was like fuel it was like gasoline to that growing false self for me to be loved i need to and to be admired to be successful i need to perform and then i got that that scholarship which was amazing in some ways but it sort of reinforced this growing false self of tom thirdly not just events your schooling schooling without doubt one of the biggest shaping influences of your life have you ever thought about that what your schooling was like and how that has shaped who you are now fourth one of course is the family of origin i mean we could spend so long even just on that one you may say where do i begin tom well again this book the emotionally healthy church is outstanding and on page 98 he just says why don't you spend some time pondering these kind of questions if you've never done this or you haven't done it for a while he says these kind of questions number 1 describe each family member with two or three adjectives number 2 describe your parents and your grandparents marriages josie and i did an assessment a year ago uh with this 
this this church planting assessment thing and i'd never done this before but i looked beyond my parents also to our, my grandparents and then josie did the same it's so interesting just you see patterns and, and themes and trends that actually I, I never realized were there, but you can see so clearly. Number three, how was conflict handled in your extended family over two to three generations? Things like anger or gender roles. Number four, what were some generational themes such as addictions, losses, abuse, depression, mental illness? Number five, how well did your family do in talking about feelings? So much here that, that is worthy of our time. David says, I am wonderfully and fearfully made. My family has got much to celebrate and some stuff that isn't great. And I'm aware of it. And I'm specific. I'm the son of Jesse still. But I want to bring it into the light. I want, I want you to show me, Father, what are those thoughts and those ways that I have that I don't even see? You see, sometimes people around you know those thoughts and those ways more than you do. They can feel them. They can feel the way that we react and respond to things. And they're probably praying, oh, please, Lord, let them see those thoughts and those ways that they don't even necessarily see themselves. Let me give you an example from my own life. I mentioned to you about this lie about oh yeah you're blank tom in comparison with your big brothers and sisters and therefore you need to perform and about a year and a half ago i went up to the hills uh near visalia where we used to live and uh, up to a cabin and when i was up there i just felt the father say tom i want to write down some of these specific like autobiographically specific ways and things that you unconsciously um, make you feel successful. Okay, they're really hidden, they're subtle. And I just started to write, oh yeah, first one, getting the scholarship to the, to the school, I've mentioned that. I can sometimes, I can almost love thinking about that because it makes me feel successful. Number two, being British. Number three, being a certain level of preacher. Number four, being a church leader. Number five, leading a relatively big church for a season in Canterbury. You know, it makes me feel successful. Number six, retelling the heroic story of leaving it all behind and moving sacrificially to America. Number seven, the fact that, you know, I'm quite fatherly to some people and I quite like thinking about that. It makes me feel successful. Number eight, being a reasonable husband. Dosie, don't laugh. <laughs> I'll get to the other side of this in a moment. Number nine, being a reasonable dad. <laughs> Number 10, being pretty deep. Number 11, being fairly good at discipleship and really investing in people. And I wrote, you won't believe this, I found God remind me of of 68 different things it went on and on some of it got more ridiculous like still having my own hair and being relatively slim and being relatively fashionable at times i mean i'm being incredibly vulnerable with you and it's excruciating but i'm, I'm trusting that it may serve you these this was my glittering image to quote one writer this was 
this is all coming from me as a young boy through my nature and nurture, believing that I was blank and I needed to be spectacular and somehow successful. And in my life, as I, as I went through my life, I just collected these things and unconsciously they became actually like a dragon skin, to quote C.S. Lewis. They were things that promised life, but actually they kind of led to me just needing to kind of sustain them. You know, they led to some kind of fear if I felt like I wasn't performing, anxiety, judgmentalism, superiority, pride, despair, basically exhaustion. Because I was all the time subtly shaped by my past, by those thoughts that I hadn't even been aware of. And God was starting to say, hey, I perceive those thoughts, Tom. I perceive those ways. You haven't perceived them. You've just lived unconsciously driven by them. Underneath the surface of the iceberg, you've just made decisions to keep those things as the things that people see. So let me just give you 10 seconds to even now invite the Father. What are the few things that maybe you run to that, you, that help you to feel successful through thinking about those good things that become God things. Just think about that for just for 10 seconds. Okay. And I'm just going to have some fun for like 20 seconds. I just want two or three of you just to unmute yourself and just bravely in one word, just on this call, just tell us what your equivalent are you join me in feeling a little bit naked just for a moment being right thank you sean <laughs> oh traveling around the world thank you lindsay and being the good girl brilliant so have two more. My education. Thank you. It's all right. Don't know, Josie. Josie will do one. I'll say one. Um, being kind of down to earth, sort of the earth. Yes. Yeah. That, for the underdog almost keeping it real keeping it real it's a good thing this strange performing thing that that actually gives us a certain energy and a certain life but it's not his life it actually leads to a certain kind of enslavement so i am i am so praying the holy spirit will be showing you the armor that you unconsciously are wearing even today because as we finish he gives us a third key which is so beautiful here in verse um, 17 david says but lord you know you've showed me my thoughts but father verse 17 how precious to me are your thoughts oh god how vast is the sum of them in the nlt translation it actually says how precious to me are your thoughts about me Oh Lord. You see, David, he would have been aware of what his brothers thought about him. He would have been aware of what his dad thought about him. 
He was aware of what he thought about himself. He, he would have done his equivalent to what we've done. But what is so glorious, and with this we finish, is David knows the final key is not just being aware of those actually often sinful thoughts and ways that weigh us down, but we have to ultimately then, when we've seen them, turn to fa- our father and say, Father, but what are your thoughts about me? And what's so glorious is that if you look at the thoughts that David clearly has in his mind in the context, he's, the thoughts that, the, that his father has for him are this, well, you created me as a fetus. You put me together in my mum's womb. You made me. You know the days for me. You made me even in the secret place. You see, what I love about this is that David is not even hinting at a single thing to do with performance. There is no, not one element of what David is saying here that even hints at the fact that he slayed a Goliath, he, he knocked down bears, he killed lions, he was an amazing king. David is like, that doesn't matter to me. Those are the thoughts that I could have run to to feel better and to prove my brothers and my dad wrong. But I don't go to those thoughts. I want to be aware of them. I actually want your thoughts, oh Father, and your thoughts are that you love me even before I did a single thing. You were excited and thrilled over my little tiny fetus. You know, we get excited when we hear such and such is pregnant. I believe that all of heaven is 10,000 times more excited. I believe that our father's like, Joni hasn't even done the thing yet, but she's amazing. She's so thrilling. Manette hasn't even been born yet, but hey, angels of heaven, check her out in her mother's womb. She is a miracle. She is fearfully and wonderfully made. Her eye color is going to be amazing and her skin and her hair. I'm so excited. And this kind of this kind of intoxicating uh, thoughts of God, that God is genuinely both this aware of the things that we live under, but he is wanting us to be a people who understand the true thoughts of God about us are nothing to do with our performance. Can I have a hallelujah? It is nothing to do with a single thing that you could ever boast about Tom Shaw. I mean, the fact that he, in his mercy, went on for page after page after page, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist. It's like, let's have some fun, Tom. Let's strip you down from that false self so you're completely naked, okay, in the most glorious way. Stop putting up those fig leaves, trying to hide behind your Britishness or the fact that you've got a scholarship or that you think you're fatherly. Let's be real, shall we, Tom? And I felt him literally invite me into this exercise of imagination. He said, imagine that you didn't go to Stanford School for Boys. Imagine you went to the worst school in town. Just think about that. Think about that. Imagine it. How would that make you feel? Oh, well, I would never boast about that. No, you wouldn't, Tom. You, you wouldn't be boasting from that. Well, what about being a preacher imagine that you've never spoken out loud you've never spoken in public and you're never going to and you can't do it oh yeah okay i can imagine that scenario it's kind of humbling and makes me feel just a bit more average yes it does tom and that's kind of good for you imagine that yes you say you led a church that was fairly big let's just imagine now that once you've left and moved to america it doubles in size and all the problems <laughs> that were actually secretly due, to, secretly due to you are ironed out under excellent leadership. Just imagine that. Oh, yes, Father. Actually, that is rather humbling. Um, I can't really boast in that either. No. What about this story, this heroic story of leaving it all behind? I felt God say, let's be real, Tom. You're living in California. 
okay? You're treated like royalty. I've given you could ever need friends, fans. Your life is tremendously blessed. And I just felt him with every single thing being deep or being good at discipleship or being a husband or a dad or having hair or having whatever it might be. I felt God just say, Tom, Tom, you need to live in the light of the reality that you are gloriously average. Hallelujah. You are just average. There's, I mean, and, and you could just try this now. It's so much fun. It's agony and so much fun. Just say, Father, even anything that you could boast in, just, just ha- allow him just to sort of show you the truth. I remember thinking I was really clever, you know, because I, I got a scholarship. And then when I did, my, um, I did a year training course and I met Andrew Wilson, and one time I went to uh, his birthday party in London and Andrew Wilson is, is just not human. He is just unbelievable. And I met all of his friends who went to Cambridge and Oxford. And I remember literally that hour when I sat around the, the, the table at his birthday party in London, as they started to talk about ancient Greek stuff and Latin. And I mean, it was just horrendous. I felt like if I open my mouth, I will seem like a moron. And in that moment, God showed me, Tom, you're not actually very clever. You might, you're, you're more clever than others, but you're not as clever as others. You are average. And that, that, that just being released from the power of the past, being released from the things that promise you life, but actually bring you death. It is the work of Aslan, getting in those claws into that skin, ripping it off so that you can be average, and yet more aware of his love for you, his thoughts for you. So as we worship, I'm going to pray, Sean. I, that's your cue for you to, to get your guitar ready. But I want to pray and just, Father, we just present ourselves um, as products of our past. Those things that have shaped us, those lies, those agreements. We just say, God, right now, we praise you that David understood he could be honest and vulnerable and safe in your presence, that he did not have to try and be spectacular or perfect. He could just be, in a sense, totally normal and average. And Lord, that you still delighted in him. Thank you that you want to keep us aware of what shaped us, not so that we demonize anyone, but that we, Lord God, are able to be honest about it and then move on, move into ever-increasing freedom. And I just pray that blessing over this church, that you will continue to lead us to see those thoughts that hide, that we don't see. Help us to perceive them. Help us to perceive those ways that are often hidden and show us your thoughts, how precious they are. They're so different in feel. So different in feel are your thoughts, Father, than our thoughts about ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Amen.